You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show, and once again, Nick Saban is uh, the king of college football. Alabama, your quote unquote national champions after knocking off Georgia on Monday in overtime by throwing in a true freshman quarterback just part way through the game, and you know that turning out to be a brilliant decision. It's actually crazy. I I really like Jalen Hurts. I think he's a good quarterback. I'm like, it seems like a lot of people at this point are saying that Jalen Hurts isn't a good quarterback strictly because he's just very patient. He doesn't like to take big chances with his arm and pretty much the opposite of Tua. So I liked him, but I, I think the move was necessary, as you could see. They were just Georgia was just loading the box. It was essentially make Hurts beat you with his arm, and he can do that, but he just didn't seem to have it. And Tua is clearly the passing threat of the two, and has the weirdest arm motion, but throws a beautiful freaking spiral. Like every time it comes out of nowhere and is just nearly on a dime. And he made some big plays. I think none bigger than that third and seven run where he broke out of a sack, spun back across the field and picked up eight-ish yards despite running 30 to get Alabama's offense going a little bit and then ended up with the uh, drive to score, the, uh, finishing up the drive with a touchdown. And, you know, he, he looked raw. He looked like uh, a guy that hasn't played many games, especially big games, given the fact that he lost track of the game clock or the play clock maybe six times and Saban called, what, two timeouts on those plays. So obviously some growing pains, but, hey, for your first first career game, if you're going to – or, uh, you know, first half of football officially, that's a pretty damn good result. Yeah, I mean, he, he took zero meaningful snaps before this game and then just kind of thrust in the national championship. And as far as – People not not liking or, or not believing in Jalen Hurts. I mean, to them, I think Hurts is just kind of a, a net quarterback. He's not somebody, again, we talked about this last week, he's never going to be a guy like Lamar Jackson that's just putting out video game numbers. He's going to be very steady, very keep and heel. And for a team like Alabama that has so much talent around him on both sides of the ball, that's more than enough to win 99.9% of the time. But Going up against a defense like Georgia, you're right, they're absolutely taking away his strengths and, you know, making him do something that he's not as comfortable doing. And, I mean, you, you saw what happened. It was just anemic from Alabama's offense um, when Hurts was in the game. And it's in a, in a regular game, in a regular season game, not the national championship, you can understand coaches considering, you know, throwing another guy out there. But right. um, as talented as Tua is, and he obviously is, if he's a quarterback so sought after that he ends up at Alabama, that's such a risk. Um, as talented as he is, just throwing him out there with, again, that he hasn't, he hasn't played in a game that's mattered or in anything other than garbage time all season, you're putting him in the national championship against Georgia. I mean, that the to think of that and then how he played once he was in there, um, I mean, Jalen Hurts might need to think about compiling a list of schools he, he wants to transfer to. 
Yeah, once once he made that first touchdown pass and looked comfortable in that game, it was essentially we've got two teams now with two quarterbacks that are looking to transfer. Jacob Easton is a former five-star who I think they just announced is transferring to Washington. I think mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts is going to be on the market very soon, and I think a guy named Jimbo Fisher might be interested if they'd let him go in SEC. Yeah, I'm, I would imagine a lot of teams would be interested because yeah. – Again, Hertz is not a bad quarterback. He played a bad half of football. Like, we right. can agree on that. But I think if you look at his entire tenure as Alabama starter, he's been very, very successful. And, I mean, he could start at just about anywhere in America. But he he does have a bit of a limitation when you just compare him side-by-side side with Tua, and that's, that's passing. And... Traditionally, Alabama quarterbacks under Saban, like they've all been the same person. Um, yeah. Not really, not really asked to do too much, but you're not going to, you know, say no to a guy who has such an arm, and such an offensive weapon going forward. And I mean, the, the sort of things happened in the last couple of years. Basically, how Deshaun Kaiser became a thing after Malik Zaire got injured. Kaiser came in, took that job by storm. Uh, Georgia's season was really expected to be derailed when they had to just throw a true freshman out there. But, I mean, you said Eason's already already picked another school. He's going to be the heir apparent to Jake Browning over there at Washington. And, I mean, Jalen Hurts might consider doing the same thing because for a lot of these guys, you know, they're, they're good college players, but they're not going to go pro. And, Either way, if they want to go pro, they're going to have to play in college. But if they're not going to go pro, they want to get as much playing time as, as humanly possible at a high major school. And, I mean, if, if two is going to beat out Jalen Hurts, you know, would not be surprised if, if he starts looking elsewhere. It's not like it would really be too much of a step down because, I mean, he could play for, you know, like you said, A&M or another SEC school. Right, and I I was toying around with the idea of throwing him in with Chip Kelly and just seeing what the hell Chip Kelly would do with him. I mean, yeah, that, that would be, be awesome. So, I mean, it, I, I think it's an interesting situation. We'll see how it plays out because Hertz is one of those guys that you said can step in and just make pretty much any program better and is, you know, a competent, top-quality quarterback that everyone would love to have. So just kind of figuring out, A, if he is going to leave, where the hell he goes, and B, if Saban is committed. I mean, at this point, I don't see why you wouldn't just commit to Tua because you've seen what he's capable of. Do you really want to make him sit on the bench for another season and say, like, potentially waste that kid's talent and let him go somewhere else? So it's, I mean, this is a good problem to have if you're Nick Saban. Too many good players. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the problem he's been dealing with for Forever, pretty much yeah. his entire tenure. Um, I mean, you know, Indiana would uh, would welcome Hurts, even though he has to sit out a season. So, plenty of potential right. suitors. Um, yeah, and, I mean, Alabama is one end of the spectrum. Other end of the spectrum is Georgia, who just if you're if you're a football fan in Georgia, you probably Tough. like the Falcons. And if you happen to be a Bulldogs fan as well, just a just a real rough twelve months of uh, almost making it up the mountaintop and then crashing back down. Um, 
Not not as, as bad a collapse as the Falcons because what possibly could be. Um, the, the biggest lead was only 13 in this game. Um, 20 to 7, was that the? Yeah. It was 13 nothing and a half, and 20 to 7 was the, the pinnacle. Yeah. 20 to 7, and then uh, Georgia didn't score again until overtime to uh, put a few great drives together and really had them in position to win if Alabama ever, you know, signed a kicker for. Whatever I guess that, that that might also be just like Nick Saban's way of trying to even the playing field. Yeah. Just like I mean, we got just like a huge guy getting in a bar fight and is like, yeah, okay, I'll uh, I'll tie one of my hands behind my back and I'll still just beat the crap out of you. That's that's what it feels like with Nick Saban and kickers because like there is there is no there is no other explanation. There's no reason they they should be this bad seemingly every single year for as good as the rest of the roster is. You can't tell me a guy with like the leg talent of Jake Elliott could not get a scholarship to Alabama. Like, it's yeah. it's mind blowing. And and really talking about Jake Elliott, like scouting high school with kickers really seems like an absolute crapshoot. Um his like just his story, he's somebody who came on really late on the scene, um just Went to a couple of camps, really impressed with the Coles camp, and then Memphis was, like, the one school that gave him an offer. Talking about, like, Pat McAfee's story, too, it's something similar. Like, he had to... Winning an underground poker game to get into yeah. a fucking tournament or a camp. Yeah, just, just to be seen. And there's obviously a lot more exposure nowadays. Not that McAfee's from the Dark Ages, but obviously with the Internet and videos are readily available right. of all of these kids, you would... You would think somewhere that takes football as seriously as Alabama wouldn't have this problem. It's basically LSU and quarterbacks. But yeah, kicker is a, while it's a very, very important position, it's easier to get around that weakness than it is just not having a quarterback. But, I mean, it's it's just equally mind-boggling why Alabama hasn't been able to, to find one. It may, I mean, it makes no sense. And if... You can't tell me that there's not one competent high school kicker in the state of Alabama. Like you, don't, I don't even think you have to go that far to find one kid that can kick the damn ball. No, like and I mean, like college kickers have a, a very low bar to begin with. Um, that's why there's a, there's a hashtag in the first place. Yep. Um, but like you got to at least find a kid who's got range out to forty yards. Like that's that seems like a good place to start. At Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, yeah, can I can't imagine a professional team having this problem. <laughs> that would be ludicrous. Christ, the name to Papanastos is just yeah. <laughs> slapping the fucking. I mean, face. it's like you you feel you feel good at the end of the day for his sake that Alabama won. Yes. So doesn't have to like leave the country, never to return. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, it's a happy ending for all parties. I, I, I did like a saving like probably unintentionally, nonchalantly, just like threw him under the bus. Like <laughs> really glad he got off and bounced back after that missed field goal. Yeah, exactly. they, uh, he just he just kind of separated himself. There's no we there, um, but he he brings yeah, it to the uh, press conference and says, you know, we pick each other up and just stares down Papanastos the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm like that. That kid is just the luckiest person ever. Yes. That 
But that that sack on first down in uh, in double overtime or in overtime didn't like ruin Alabama. Kick from fifty yards. Yeah. Like that, well, that's why I thought it was the game because like no way this kid makes a field goal longer than thirty yards, and then like first play too, it just gets dragged down like twelve yard loss. But I mean, obviously he just wanted more real estate. To yeah, he drill. just wanted to make it a better play. Yeah. Um, so going forward, um, Alabama already the favorite for next year. Shockingly, um, Georgia. Obviously, Jake Fromm is back. Losing a lot from the running game, but the cupboard's not completely there. Still bringing back Swift, who had a, a great freshman year. And, I mean, learning from the duo of Chad and Michelle, I mean, that's you – couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better group of teachers. So I'm sure Georgia will be back, especially considering they're playing in the East. I'm sure they'll be right back in this position next year along with Alabama. I think Jake Fromm is going to be – by and far the best quarterback in the SEC. I think Tua's got the talent, but I think from with the experience already, is just going to be way more comfortable with the offense and the team next season, and he's going to go off, I think. And normally that, that may be perceived as, like, you know, the tallest member of the lollipop field because for whatever reason, the SEC just really doesn't seem to have a lot of good quarterbacks outside right. of, you know, a couple of years. Um, the Allens just putting up huge numbers at Arkansas, but – yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you. I think he's going to be a, a huge advantage going up against some of these great defenses. And I mean, he he already had so much success as a freshman, uh, winning at Notre Dame, beating Oklahoma, almost probably should have beaten Alabama. I mean, that would have been just ridiculous trio of wins right there. Not to mention, you know, winning the SEC. It's pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. That's great to get all of that off the table in just your freshman year, and then you can come right back and you're already a season fat as a sophomore. If all, it must be nice, you know, must be nice. And yeah, Little League World Series alum. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he is not a late bloomer. Um, so yeah, that's that's really the the college football season, Central Florida. National champs. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama, hashtag not my champion. Not my champion. Um, in, a, in a perfect world, they would still play each other, but the world is a, a cruel and unforgiving place. I do like, though, um, you know, at least one governor is recognized yeah. in Central Florida as the national champion. Um, just waiting for that, that coalition of, you know, at least 24 more. Uh, to just give that some some real power. Uh, this, this seems like something inconsequential enough that 45 can get ripped into. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And I'm excited for Lane Kiffin to be the Scott Frost of next season where his team goes undefeated and gets screwed out of the playoff. So my Owls, I'm calling it now. They're they're going undefeated. They'll, they'll, uh, Are they get playing Wisconsin again or anyone uh, getting on? They play Central Florida. They might have the second half of the home and home with Navy. I don't know who else they play, but the schedule should be okay. pretty good. But they're returning their quarterback and running back, who were pretty darn good. Excuse me, it's going to be a lot tougher for FAU, as entertaining as Lane Kiffin is. 
to earn my undying support and loyalty playing in, you know, CUSA versus the American, even though they're both technically group of five conferences. It's, right. it's also why I was never fully on board with uh, rowing the boat. Is that at a certain at a certain point a schedule can be too easy? Um, right. But yeah, that, I mean, I would say that's probably your, you're right though. That's probably your best shot of any team to to go undefeated. You know, next year just looking at schedules because obviously as as good as Alabama or Georgia or anyone else is going to be, they're still going to have to you know go through a, a gauntlet. Well, if they go undefeated, I think they'll deserve it because they're at Oklahoma week one. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. They they traded out uh, yeah. Navy and Wisconsin and added Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. So they're they're going with the uh, the Houston route. Yep. We'll see how that pays off. God. Uh, the Jazeans are going to come back and lose to North Texas now after beating Oklahoma. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. No, it's the, the Tom Herman proven method of beating good teams and losing the shitty ones. So, and, and then that's, how Lane, you, that's how you get the Texas job. And then Lane will leave for a big job, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This this will be the time it works out at USC, <laughs> somewhere like that. All right, uh, so, yeah, that's college football wrap. Um, it was another good year. But college basketball – if you haven't been paying attention to us or anyone else, is very much a thing. Yeah. And it's just chaos as always, basically. Mm-hmm. So for the top five lost last week, um, a couple in truly, truly convincing fashion. This one started at the top. Michigan State only lost on neutral court to Duke, absolutely cruising through the rest of the schedule, beating everybody by about – 23 points per game. Then Ohio State happens and just blows them out at home. Chris Holtman, I think, pretty much already wrapped up Big Ten Coach of the Year, but got to be one of the front runners for National Coach of the Year as well, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Bobby Hurley is the only other person I could think of. And even he, like, uh, maybe my guy Bruce Pearl as well. But those are probably... You can throw Chris Beard in there. There's, I mean, oh, there, yeah. are, okay. there are guys who are doing good jobs. <laughs> the, the, the longer Hashtag I think about it, there are more people I could think of. But yeah. I would say it's a three-man race between Hurley, Beard, and Holtman. I would say, to, to qualify a little, I would say Holtman is, unless I'm just really forgetting somebody egregiously, Holtman is doing the best job out of the, the first-year coaches. Yes, you're correct. Right. Like that correct? Okay. Yes. That. <laughs> it it also helps when your your best player is healthy, which Thad Mata did not have last year. Um, but also losing the record to close the season didn't help either. Um, no. Keita Bates job, leading scorer in the big time, 20 per game, dropped 32 on Miles Bridges in Michigan State, big part of why they cruised. This is not a deep team. Um, no. Over the summer, really – struggling to have enough guys to even scrimmage. Um, so for them to be in this position is, again, quite a testament to Altman and, you know, the, the resolve of a lot of these guys. One of the biggest factors working against Model last year was the quote-unquote losing the locker room. Um, guys really seemed to quit down the stretch of the season. But, I mean, now they're having fun, and 
mean, winning certainly helps, but th- this looks like it could actually be an, an NCAA tournament team in Ohio State. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because, you know, you look at – we looked at Ohio State at the beginning of the year and just kind of pushed them over because, like you said, there is – I would say no depth on this team. I'm not, you know, not to shoot anything at the uh, the bench players of Ohio State, but there really isn't any anything or much to look at there. And it kind, kind of feels like a less talented Kansas team of the past few years where you've got guys like Perry Ellis and – 12-year Perry Ellis and Frank Frank Mason playing like 40 40 minutes a game, and if they go to overtime, they're getting over 40. It feels like that's what this Ohio State team is going to have to do, and as long as they can stay healthy, like we said, they should compete in a bad Big Ten this year because the hardest part is out of the way. They beat Michigan State already. All they have to do from here is play adequate basketball against teams, and do they get Purdue once? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you play everybody in the Big Ten at least once, right? Um, but yeah, like if you could steal against Purdue, I mean, you've locked up your tournament right there. Yeah, and the rest of the Big Ten is like is total ass. And the, the best yes. indication of that is Indiana beat Penn State tonight, um, right before we recorded this, and they now have a winning record in conference. So that should be a pretty good <laughs> barometer for where your conference is. Um, Andrew Dockage is getting meaningful rotation minutes. So, yeah. and, and Musa Jallo, another guy, um, really kind of a little under the radar three-star prospect who just reclassified so he could actually join the team this year. He's also getting meaningful rotation minutes. So you're absolutely right. This is a very thin team. And that, that just makes the win over Michigan State, which is by contrast an extremely deep and talented team, all the more impressive. Um, I still think this is absolutely Michigan State's conference to lose. Yeah. But from their perspective, pretty much have to run the table with the possible exception of Purdue if they want to be considered uh, for number one seed. That's, like, legitimately how bad the conference is. But, I mean, it's it's helpful at least for, for the overall RPI or whatever metrics you want to throw out there of the big time if Ohio State, you know, is actually good at basketball. Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned you mentioned Michigan already, but it's kind of telling how bad the conference is when Maryland, who's lost two of their best players for the season, are three and two and fifth place in the conference, and Michigan's three and one with no real semblance of a backcourt. It's, I mean, it's just a tough look overall. And, and final four bound Northwestern is sitting at one and three, so you know. <laughs> The, the Big Ten is firing on all cylinders. It's, I mean, just like Hall of Famer Trent Richardson is basically yes. the equivalent of that. Now. <laughs> that is that is spot on. Um, yeah, and just going down the list, Duke getting absolutely worked by NC State and first-year coach Kevin Keith. Um, I said this in the, the top ten this week, but Duke in a lot of ways reminds me of UC, uh, a more talented version of UCLA last year. Unbelievable offense, uh, first in Ken Palm, but just the complete and, to be honest, surprising inability to guard anyone. And that's that's why they're they're losing to NC State and Boston College. We said Boston College had a ridiculous shooting day, but obviously you have to attribute some of that to Duke giving them so many open shots. And they they've just been getting torched 
through, I mean, the admittedly very brief ACC season so far. Um, they haven't exactly been world beaters on defense for for any part of the year. And, you know, this is a team that's more talented than any in the country by far on paper, but, I mean, they just don't want to play defense for whatever reason. It's wild, too, because they're a very lengthy team. They could play, they could easily play like a matchup zone and be very disruptive, but they just, the effort isn't there. Like you said, they just don't want to play defense. They feel like, it's it's almost like AAU ball where no one wants to play, but they want to get theirs on offense. It's all about how I can get on the offensive end and make my plays so that my numbers look good no matter what happens in this game. And it's maybe Coach K losing touch with these guys, but I don't think it's that's it exactly. You know, they do really score the ball well, but you can't just expect, uh, for as talented as they are, I mean, this is this is the truth in any sport anywhere, is no matter how talented you are, you, you're going to have off nights. And Duke can't bank on the fact that they can score 85 points a night as enough to win, because if they don't put forth any defense, even an average college basketball team can drop 80 points on you, so... They're playing good teams. I mean, NC State, not a great team, but they're, these, these are quality teams with, with good players. So, you know, when they play teams like Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, even Syracuse, it's going to be tough if Duke can't play defense because these are teams that do defend well and then have guys that can score the ball. I would love, or I can't wait to see them play Virginia. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you know, Coach K potentially losing touch. I think he's completely altered, you know, his concept of roster construction once he fully embraced, um, you know, this one-and-done era. And it kind of turns roster construction into more of like an arms race with Kentucky versus, you know, how they would build a roster in the days of, like, Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley when it, it seemed a lot more defensively focused. And now it's just get as many talented guys as you can, and a lot of, you know, those talented guys out of high school, nobody's calling card is really going to be, if you're, if you're in the McDonald's All-American game, nobody's calling card is going to be, well, I play like Tony Allen, just a lockdown defender. Everybody's there because they can score, they can rebound, they can do, they can contribute something huge offensively. And defense is something that, that has to be taught, and that is the one thing that could potentially give Duke hope is that this is a very young team and there's the potential that they can kind of learn that, especially team defense, because it's not like they have Jaleel Okafor or like a old school back to the basket, pretty, pretty slow moving big back there. Like Carter and Bagley should be able to alter just about any shot in there and snatch up every available defensive rebound. But right. You know, it, there there hasn't been any sort of, of team defense, and I mean, a lot of that is effort-based, as, as talented as these guys are. So that's on whatever injury Coach K wants to fake, or, you know, these, these guys just basically figuring it out. And they should at a certain point, because, I mean, losing gets old pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because 
just talking through this, I think you and I have at least two or three ideas defensively of how they can improve and, and do something different. Like you said, they've got two guys that can alter pretty much any shot within four or five feet of them. So, <clears throat> you know, why aren't you playing a zone defense where your guards are pressing out and forcing people to beat you in the paint or off at the free throw line? I mean, they get two, you get three. That's how Duke's played forever. Yeah, and I mean it just hasn't happened, and I mean it's it's gonna have to start from the inside, like we said. But a lot of threes are being given up. It's it's a combination of of the threes and just a shocking amount of offensive rebounds. You have second opportunities um, to a lot of these teams, which is why the points per possession is so elevated um, for Duke's defense. Right. So I don't know. That's, not going to offer any more free ideas. So, someone hired me. Never. Um, the the other big one from Saturday was Providence taking down Xavier. Um, Xavier also taking on Villanova tomorrow in a mammoth clash in the Big East. Potentially looking ahead a little bit, but the surprising thing to me is... Um, you know, a lot of the top teams in the Big East, with primarily Villanova and Xavier, always seem to be so perimeter-oriented. Villanova always traditionally talk about going with yeah. the four guard like a lot. But Xavier, when they've been really successful under Mac recently, seem to, to kind of do that, too. Um, at least three guards around two bigs are sometimes going with that, that four guard look. But from, from my watching of that game, Providence's perimeter players just absolutely controlled that game and and blew it just really didn't do anything down the stretch yeah it's it's a little mix of you know not getting production from Trayvon Blewett Kaiser Gates really held in check Makura had nine points I think and you know people do forget that Providence is actually a good team they were a tournament team last year they returned I believe four starters and they've got two real real good playmakers in Rodney Bullock and Kyron Cartwright. So there's talent on Providence. They just have been injured this year. And, you know, the dunk is a tough place to play. It's People are going to say it all the time, but the Big East is a grind. You know, you have to play everyone twice. So you're going to everyone's building. And it's – these are places that fill up. This is the basketball conference in America. It's the only one where the focus is strictly on basketball, or at least the biggest one – where it focuses strictly on basketball. So you've got buildings like Hinkle Fieldhouse that get, you know, 9,000 capacity right on top of you. You get CenturyLink in Omaha with 18,000 people. You get the pavilion when it's not under renovation with another nine or 10,000 on you. So all these places are tough to play, and mix it in with the fact that your top players aren't performing, you're not going to win many games. So I was doing a Big East preview before the Big East slate started and then just ran out of time because my job controls my life. So I nice. couldn't, fin- couldn't finish it, but I had Villanova as the top team, and I think they're going to go 14-4 and four this year. So they're just a lot of good teams this season, and it's tough to pick up those road wins. If you can get them, I mean, teams like Marquette, Providence, Georgetown – that may be middle of the pack to lower of the pack in the Big East are still tough places to play. Maybe not Georgetown, but still. I, I mean, I would say 14 and 4 would get you a conference title in just about every conference, except maybe uh, 
the Pac-12 or Big Ten this year. Um, so, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely no shame in that. And, like, Providence kind of was forced to do that without Emmett Holt, and that's that's a big part of why Cantor was, was able to, to dominate in the low post off the bench. Um, but that was, yeah, it was, it was just surprising to me how Xavier's perimeter players were, were overshadowed to that degree. Right. And, uh, Arizona State, as, uh, as dominant as they, they were in the, as they have been and, and still to a degree are, um, were unable to survive the Pac-12 mountain trip. They lost to Colorado, who got a very impressive sweep of Arizona State yeah. and Arizona, um, who are, of course, travel partners in the Pac-12. Um, able to escape Utah on Sunday with a win, barely. Um, first time, really, the, the Utah game was watching the extended minutes of Arizona State play this year, and they are just they're, – they're Illinois from 2005. It's just – <laughs> the, everyone has the greenest of green life to just jack yeah. up from anywhere, and it's it has to be so so frustrating to try to guard. They play just such a strange style of basketball. It's like like we've talked about before. It's fairly positionless, and it's not it's not the Princeton offense. It's not the four out one in. It's just kind of like a free for all where it's a ton of one on one basketball. And all these guys can take you in pretty much any way they want. Yeah, and uh, and Mickey Mitchell, um, one of the the Ohio State mass transfers out of Fed uh, Mata's last great recruiting class, who all you know decided to to leave at once. Daniel Gibbons, Austin Grantstaff, all those guys, and he, he's kind of one of their few interior players, and he's he's very average size. He's he's maybe six seven, but He's kind of the one guy on their team who who isn't given that greenest of green lights from from outside. But even him, he can still drive and kick. He can get around guys, beat up them off the dribble. It's just if you if you are a traditional big man um, like David Collette of Utah was, you'll get your points. But defensively, it's it's just going to be a matchup problem, whoever you end up having to guard. Right, and they do have a little bit of depth. It's not, you know, overly impressive like Michigan State, but it's it's just a fun style of play to watch because they're so fast up and down the floor, and they play, I'd say, pretty good defense. It's not anything to write home about, but it's enough to get them extra possessions on offense where they can just go at you and kind of pick up the tempo. It's, it would fit Trey Young very well, this this oh, offensive yeah. style. That's yeah. that's essentially how I'd put it. And, I mean, they're, they're kind of in a similar situation with, with Michigan State. They already have two conference losses. Um, so they opened against Arizona, the only other. Arizona's basically the Purdue of the Pac-12 appropriate, so you got last and second to last in the Bahamas. Um, Arizona State almost has to run the table at this point to be considered for a one seed. Um, I mean, the, like certain teams in the Pac-12, like Colorado, are probably a little better than we've given them credit for, but for the most part, not really too many 
good wins to be had. Um, I mean, USC certainly isn't one anymore. No. Lost again at Stanford in a ridiculous finish. Um, Outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all another thing. But I think, I mean, Colorado losing the Oregon road trip was really tough. If they had beaten Oregon State, I mean, a loss to Oregon is respectable because they're still a good team. They've got plenty of talent, but Oregon State's a tough one to swallow. You know, Colorado or Colorado would be three and one at this point. They would, I would consider them a quality win for uh, you know teams in the Pac-12. But I mean, you, you can't you can't do it with an Oregon State loss on your resume. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot of very meh average teams out right. there, and like two good ones. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's tough it's tough to to elevate your your resume once you're into the the conference only portion of the season in the Pac-12 and that's that's a problem for Arizona State um, especially the way that they they've started conference play but I mean we're playing more opportunities for wins between now and March not necessarily all of them quality but I mean those will those will definitely add up. Um, lastly. The Big Twelve. We have to we have to check in on this weekly at this point. Um, another yeah. another wild weekend. Um, we had Kansas bouncing back, winning at TCU. We had West Virginia, uh, who took down Oklahoma and held in air quotes Trey Young to the quietest twenty nine points in human history. Yes, uh, which. I and mean, we can we can talk about that in just a sec, but that was that was a really impressive performance. And then Oklahoma tonight bouncing back, beating uh, Texas Tech at home um, not too long before we started recording this. So I mean, who who are the uh, who are the two best teams in the the Big Twelve right now? I think it's got to be West Virginia and Kansas, right? I don't. I don't think you can say Texas Tech just because they've been exposed now for the second time this season. People love to forget that they lost the game previously this year. Yeah, and that's then my mind. Oklahoma, I want to be in on Oklahoma. I just don't believe in them on the defensive end. That's my biggest problem, is if they were a more sound team defensively or had a better I guess better suited style of play on defense, I would be all in on the Sooners. But it's hard not to like what West Virginia is doing right now because they make everybody play at their tempo. Yeah, I mean, Arizona State's absolutely a if the shots aren't falling, they're screwed team. Oklahoma yeah. is pretty close. Um, for me right now, I would still say Oklahoma is the, the second best team just on their – on the heels of their win tonight over Texas Tech, um, it's it's hard it's hard for me to get too down on them for losing at West Virginia. That's I mean West Virginia is able to speed up everybody, play their pace, and I mean they they're even able to do that against Virginia this year right. and, and drop sixty eight on them, which is a lot. Is, is the yeah it's the it's the most Virginia's allowed anyone to score all season um, by 
you know, at least like seven points. The only like three teams have broken 60. Um, but they, they dictate pace. Javon Carter really seems to be taking this one personally. Just made Trey Young's life hell from the opening tip. And it really took almost the entire first half for Young to settle in at all. And I mean, eventually he just got to the free throw line enough where he was able to get that point total up. Um, but you know, West Virginia has been able to do all of this without their best front court player, Issa Mod. He's coming back Saturday um, against Texas Tech. Now that he's you know ruled to be eligible, so that makes them even better. And I mean, I, I think West Virginia right now is clearly the the best team in the Big Twelve. I'm sure these opinions will change on a weekly basis, but. For right now, West Virginia has just been very, very impressive. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't you can't take away from what they've done. They have not lost in the United States. People forget that after getting clobbered at Ramstein Air Force Base by Texas A and M, they have been really good. And I mean, the top of this conference is incredible because it goes five deep if you want to include TCU, and they're all top fifteen teams. So, and that's, that's half the entire conference. Yes, yeah. exactly, because the Big 12 has 10 teams. It makes sense. You don't think about yes, it. Yes, it does. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, it, West Virginia's at this point, there's no one better in, until someone can get them out of their groove in terms of style of play and tempo. You're, you're just not going to beat them. You can't, it's like Virginia. You can't play at their pace and expect to win games. Yeah, I mean that's that's true, and that would be I'd be very interested to see that rematch, honestly, in the NCAA tournament, if if at all possible. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's just another year of the Big Twelve. Normally, it's figuring out who the second best team is after Kansas. That's always impossible to call, but this year with, with Kansas. Struggling in the early stages of the conference season just a little bit. Now, I mean, the entire conference is is kind of a, a big question mark. So that, by far to me, is, is the most intriguing uh, conference title race. I know there's there's a couple that are still pretty open. Um, the ACC is, is kind of like that, too. But Big 12 carries the extra intrigue of, oh, yeah. you know, potentially ending Kansas Street, which right. we have we have been excited for for, you know, the last decade of that possibly yes. ending. So I don't know. That's uh that's life in the Big Twelve. It's constantly looking at Kansas and, and trying to measure up to them and it looks like a lot of teams finally have. It's still just stunning that Chris Beard has a winning team in Texas Tech. Like, Lubbock, Texas, of all places, is a basketball town right now. Tubby Smith's at the table. He's, uh, he's taking the final few steps. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, it's a show for this week. Central Florida is your national champion. That is the only opinion you will hear on this podcast. Correct. Uh, any last words? None. 
All right, college basketball season only now. Uh, so catch up, get into it, and we will see you next week.